Part Two of The Jewel of Boz by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Two. The calls started the line moving again, using the wands like ox goads. They shuffled off down the gully, going deeper and deeper into the forbidden plains. Very softly, so that nobody but Ciaran could hear her, Mouse whispered, "'These locks are nothing. I can pick them any time.' Ciaran squeezed her hand again. It occurred to him that Mouse was a handy girl to have around. After a while she said, "'Kiri, that shadow, we did see it?' "'We did,' he shivered in spite of himself. "'What was it? How should I know? And you better save your breath. Looks like a long walk ahead of us.' It was. They threaded their way through a growing maze of cracks in the plain, cracks that got deeper and deeper so you had to look straight up to see the red sky and the little floating suns. Ciaran found himself watching furtively to make sure they were still shining. He wished Mousie hadn't reminded him of the shadow. He'd never been closer to cold, clawing panic than in those moments on the ridge. The rest of the slave gang had obviously come a long way already. They were tired. But the calls goaded them on, and it wasn't until about a third of the line was being held up bodily by those in front or behind that a halt was called. They came to a fairly wide place where three of the gullies came together. The calls formed the line into a circle, squeezing in on itself so they were practically sitting in each other's laps, and then stood by watchfully lolling pink tongues over their bright gray teeth and letting the wands flash in the dimmed light. Ciaran let his head and shoulders roll over onto Mousie. For some time he had felt her hands working around her own collar, covered by her hair and the harp slung across his back. She wore a rather remarkable metal pin that had other functions than holding her tunic on, and she knew how to use it. Her collar was still in place, but he knew she could slide out of it now any time she wanted. She bent forward over him as though she was exhausted. Her black hair fell over his face and neck. Under it her small quick hands got busy. The lock snapped quietly, and the huge red-haired man collapsed slowly on top of Ciaran. His voice whispered, but there was nothing weak about it. He said, now me. Ciaran squirmed and cursed. The vast weight crushed him to silence. I'm a hunter. I can hear a rabbit breathing in its warren. I heard the woman speak. Free me or I'll make trouble. Ciaran sighed resignedly, and Mouse went to work. Ciaran looked around the circle of exhausted humans. Charcoal burners, trappers, hoop shavers, the lean, tough, hard-bitten riff-raff of the border wilderness. Even the women were tough. Ciaran began to get ideas. There was a man crushed up against them on the other side, the man who had hitherto been at the head of the column. He was tall and stringy like a hungry cat, and just as mean-looking hunched over his knees with his face buried in his forearms and a shag of iron-gray hair falling over his shoulders. Ciaran nudged him. 
You. Don't make any sign. Game to take a chance? The shaggy head turned slightly, just enough to unveil an eye. Ciaran wished suddenly he kept his mouth shut. The eye was pale, almost white, with a queer, unhuman look as though it saw only gods or devils and nothing in between. Ciaran had met hermits before in his wanderings. He knew the signs. Normally he rather liked hermits, but this one gave him unpleasant qualms in the stomach. The man dragged a rusty voice up from somewhere. We are enslaved by devils. Only the pure can overcome devils. Are you pure? Ciron managed not to choke. As a bird in its nest, he said, a newly-fledged bird, in fact a bird still in the shell. The cold, pale eye looked at him without blinking. Ciaron resisted an impulse to punch it, and said, We have a means of freeing ourselves. If enough could be freed, when the time came, we might rush the calls. Only the pure can prevail against devils. Ciaron gave him a smile of beatific innocence. The scar and the missing tooth rather spoiled the effect, but his eyes made up for it in bland sweetness. You shall lead us, father, he cooed. With such purity as yours we can't fail. The hermit thought about that for a moment, and then said, I will pass the word. Give me the fake. Ciaron's jaw dropped. His eyes got glassy. The fake, said the hermit patiently, the jiggler. Ciaron closed his eyes. Mouse, he said weakly. Give the gentleman the picklock. Mouse slid it to him a distance of about two inches. The red-haired giant took some of his weight off Ciaran. Mouse was looking slightly dazed herself. Hadn't I better do it for you? she asked rather pompously. The hermit gave her a cold glance. He bent his head and brought his hands up between his knees. His collar-mate on the other side never noticed a thing and the hermit beat Mouse's time by a good third. Ciaran laughed. He lay in Mouse's lap and had mild hysterics. Mouse cuffed him furiously across the back of his neck, and even that didn't stop him. He pulled himself up, looked through streaming eyes at Mouse's murderous small face, and bit his knuckles to keep from screaming. The hermit was already quietly at work on the man next him. Ciaran unslung his harp. The gray calls hadn't noticed anything yet. Both Mouse and the Hermit were very smooth workers. Ciaran plucked out a few sonorous minor chords, and the calls flicked their blood-pink eyes at him, but didn't seem to think the harp called for any action. Ciaran relaxed and played louder. Under cover of the music he explained his plan to the big red hunter, who nodded and began whispering to his other collar-mate. Ciron began to sing. He gave them a lament, one of the wild, dark things that the Cimmerians sang at the beer of a chief, and very appropriate to the occasion. The calls lounged, enjoying the rest. They weren't watching for it, so they didn't see, as Ciron did, the breathing of the word of hope around the circle. Civilized people would have given the show away. 
but these were bordermen as wary and self-contained as animals. It was only in their eyes that you could see anything. They got busy, under cover of their huddled bodies and long-haired, bowed-over heads, with every buckle and pin they could muster. Mouse and the hermit passed instructions along the line, and since they were people who were used to using their hands with skill, it seemed as though a fair number of locks might get picked. The collars were left carefully in place. Ciaran finished his lament, and was halfway through another, when the calls decided it was time to go. They moved in to go the line back into position. Ciaran's harp crashed out suddenly in angry challenge, and the close-packed circle split into a furious confusion. Ciaran slung his harp over his shoulder and sprang up, shaking off the collar. All around him was the clash of chain metal on rock, the scuffle of feet, the yells and heavy breathing of angry men. The calls came leaping in, their wands flashing. Somebody screamed. Ciaran got a fistful of Mouse's tunic in his left hand and started to butt through the melee. He had lost track of the hermit and the hunter. Then, quite suddenly, it was dark. Silence closed down on the gully. A black, frozen silence with not even a word of breathing in it. Ciaran stood still, looking up at the dark sky. He didn't even tremble. He was beyond that. Black darkness in a land of eternal light. Somewhere then a woman screamed with a terrible mad strength, and hell broke loose. Ciaran ran. He didn't think about where he was going, only that he had to get away. He was still gripping Mouse. Bodies thrashed and blundered and shrieked in the darkness. Twice he and Mouse were knocked kicking. It didn't stop them. They broke through, finally, into a clear space. There began to be light again, pale and feeble at first, but flickering back toward normal. They were in a broad gully, kicked smooth on the bottom by the passing of many feet. They ran down it. After a while Mouse fell, and Ciaran dropped beside her. He lay there, fighting for breath, twitching and jerking like an animal with sheer panic. He was crying a little because it was light again. Mouse clung to him, pressing tight as though she wanted to merge her body with his and hide it. She had begun to shake. "'Geary,' she whispered over and over again. "'Geary, what was it?' Ciaran held her head against his shoulder and stroked it. "'I don't know, honey, but it's all right now. It's gone.' "'Gone. But it could come back. It had once. Maybe next time it would stay. Darkness and the sudden cold. The legends began crawling through Ciaran's mind. If Boss the Immortal was true, and the stone of destiny was true, and the stone gave Boss power over life and death of a world, then maybe Boss was getting tired of the world and wanted to throw it away. The rational stubbornness in man that says a thing is not, because it's never been before, helped Ciaran steady down. But he couldn't kid himself that there hadn't been darkness where no darkness had ever been dreamed of before. He shook his head and started to pull Mouse to her feet. 
and then his quick ears caught the sound of someone coming toward them, running, several someones. There was no place to hide. Siron got Mouse behind him and waited, half-crouching. It was the hunter, with the hermit loping like a stringy cat at his heels, and a third man behind them both. They all looked a little crazy, and they didn't seem to be going to stop. Siron said, Hey! They slowed down, looking at him with queer, blank eyes. Siron blew up, because he had to relax somehow. It's all over now. What are you scared of? It's gone. He cursed them with more feeling than fairness. What about the calls? What happened back there? The hunter wiped a huge hand across his red-bearded face. Everybody went crazy, he said thickly. Some got killed or hurt. Some got away, like us. The rest were caught again. He jerked his head back. They're coming this way. They're hunting us. They hunt by scent, the gray beasts do. Then we've got to get going, Ciaran turned around. Mouse, you, Mousy, snap out of it, honey. It's all right now. She shivered and choked over her breath, and the hermit fixed them both with pale, mad eyes. It was a warning, he said, a portent of judgment when only the pure shall be saved. He pointed a bony finger at Ciaran. I told you that evil could not prevail against devils. That got through to Mouse. Sense came back into her black eyes. She took a step toward the hermit and let go. Don't you call him evil, or me either. We've never hurt anybody yet, beyond lifting a little food or a trinket. And besides, who the hell are you to talk? Anybody as handy with a picklock as you are is at plenty of practice. Mouse paused for breath, and Ciaran got a look at the hermit's face. His stomach quivered. He tried to shut Mouse up, but she was feeling better and beginning to enjoy herself. She plunged into a detailed analysis of the hermit's physique and heredity. She had a vivid and inventive mind. Ciaran finally got his hand over her mouth, taking care not to get bitten. "'Nice going,' he said. "'But we've got to get out of here. You can finish later.' She started to heal his shins, and then, quite suddenly, she stopped and stiffened up under his hands. She was looking at the hermit. Ciaran looked, too. His insides knotted, froze, and began to do tricks. The hermit said quietly, "'You are finished now.' His pale eyes held them, and there was nothing human about his gaze or the cold calm of his voice. "'You are evil, you are thieves, and I know, for I was a thief myself. You have the filth of the world on you, and no wish to clean it off.' He moved toward them. It was hardly a step, hardly more than an inclination of the body, but Ciaran gave back before it. I killed a man. I took a life in sin and anger, and now I have made my peace. You have not, you will not, and if need comes I can kill again without remorse. He could, too. There was nothing ludicrous about him now. He was stating simple fact, 
and the dignity of him was awesome. Ciaran scowled down at the dust. Hell, he said, we're sorry, father. Uh, Mouse has a quick tongue, and we both had a bad scare. She didn't mean it. We respect any man's conscience. There was a cold, hard silence, and then the third man cried out with a sort of subdued fury. Let's go. Do you want to get caught again? He was a gnarled, knotty, powerful little man, beginning to grizzle, but not to slow down. He wore a kilt of skins. His hide was dark and tough as leather, his hazel eyes set in nests of wrinkles. The hunter, who had been hearing nothing but noises going back and forth over his head, turned and led off down the gully. The others followed, still not speaking. Ciaran was thinking. He's crazy. He's clear off his head. And of all the things we didn't need, a crazy hermit heads the list. There was a cold spot between his shoulders that wouldn't go away even when he started sweating with exertion. The gully was evidently a main trail to somewhere. There were many signs of recent passage by a lot of people, including an occasional body kicked off to the side and left to dry. The little knotty man, who was a trapper named Ram, examined the bodies with a terrible stony look in his eyes. "'My wife and my first son,' he said briefly. "'The gray beasts took them while I was gone.' He turned grimly away. Ciaran was glad when the bodies proved to be the wrong ones. Ram and the big red hunter took turns scaling the cleft walls for a look. Mouse said something about taking to the face of the plain where they wouldn't be hemmed in. They looked at her grimly. "'The gray beasts are up there,' they said. "'Flanking us. If we go up, they'll only take us and chain us again.' Ciaran's heart took a big, staggering jump. "'In other words, they're hurting us. We're going the way they want us to, so they don't bother to round us up.' The hunter nodded professionally. "'Is a good plan.' "'Oh, fine,' snarled Ciaran. "'What I want to know is, is there any way out?' The hunter shrugged. "'I'm going on anyway,' said Ram. "'My wife and son—' Ciaran thought about the Stone of Destiny, and was rather glad there was no decision to make. They went on, at an easy jog-trot. By bits and pieces Ciaran built up the picture, raiding gangs of calls, coming quietly into isolated border villages, combing the brush and the forest for stragglers, where they took the humans or why nobody could guess. The Red Hunter froze to a dead stop. The others crouched behind him, instinctively holding their breath. The Hunter whispered, "'People! Many of them!' His flat palm made an emphatic move for quiet. Small, cold prickles flared across Ciaran's skin. He found Mouse's hand in his and squeezed it. Suddenly, with no more voice than the sigh of a breeze through bracken, the hermit laughed. <laughs> Judgment, he whispered. Great things moving. His pale eyes were fey. Doom and destruction, a shadow across the world, a darkness and a dying. 
He looked at them, one by one, and threw his head back, laughing without sound, the stringy cords working in his throat. And of all you, I alone have no fear. They went on, slowly moving without sound, in small, shapeless puddles of shadow thrown by the floating sunballs. Ciaran found himself almost in the lead beside the hunter. They edged around a jog in the cleft wall. About ten feet ahead of them the cleft floor plunged underground through a low opening shored with heavy timbers. There were two calls lounging in front of it, watching their wands flash in the light. The five humans stopped. The calls came toward them, almost lazily, running rough gray tongues over their shiny teeth. Their blood-pink eyes were bright with pleasure. Ciaran groaned. This is it. Shall we be brave or just smart? The hunter cocked his huge fists, and then Ram let go a queer animal moan. He shoved past Ciaran and went to his knees beside something Ciaran hadn't noticed before. A woman lay awkwardly against the base of the cliff. She was brown and stringy and not very young, with a plain good face. A squat, thick-shouldered boy sprawled almost on top of her. There was a livid burn on the back of his neck. They were both dead. Ciaran thought probably the woman had dropped from exhaustion and the kid had died fighting to save her. He felt sick. Ram put a hand on each of their faces. His own was stony and quite blank. After the first cry he didn't make a sound. He got up and went for the called nearest to him. End of part two.